Hello and welcome to the Swim England East Region podcast. My name is Kevin and I'm the Regional Swimming Talent Officer and will be hosting today's discussion. Hopefully you are already following all our social media feeds, but if not, make sure you give us a follow on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Swim England East Region. In today's episode, we are in conversation with David Harrison, who is the Regional Head Coach for 2020. After episode 10, 11 and 12 brought a close to our practitioner discussions, myself and David open the floor to any swimming related questions from our young athletes. So let's get started with episode 13 of the Swim England East Region podcast, a live Q&A with the Regional Talent Officer and Head Coach for the 2020 Regional Development Programme. Thank you so much for joining us tonight. I know uh, a lot of you uh, have missed training or a delaying training or are hiding in your car waiting for training. Um, so I really appreciate your time. We're going to um, we're going to throw it pretty early, straight open to questions. But I've just got a couple of things to, I guess, bring bring everyone up to speed on. Um, since we launched the videos, which correct me if I'm wrong, Dave, I think it was about three weeks ago we sent them out. Three and a half weeks ago, they've had one thousand two hundred hits more than 1,200 hits, which is absolutely incredible. Uh, again, if we think back to our normal camps program, we only have 36 swimmers on there, which some of you, I know your siblings have been on before. So it's fantastic. And then across our Q&As, we've had over 150 questions coming in. And most of those are from our swimmers, which again is brilliant. So thank you so much for engaging. Hopefully tonight's just as entertaining um, and, and really useful for you. I don't want anyone leaving this discussion tonight with any hopefully unanswered questions. Uh, I will be taking some notes. So if there's anything I need to follow up on, I will. Uh, so please make sure if you've got any questions that you ask. Uh, but it's not just me tonight. We've got the regional head coach for 2020 with us. Uh, he's had a very different role this year to what we'd normally do, but I'll, I'll hand over to Dave just to introduce himself and say hello. Hi, everyone. So yeah, as Kev said, um, my name's Dave or David. I don't really mind what you call me. Um, I coach at West Suffolk, um, which is obviously in Suffolk. So some of you that are on poolside for the counties may recognise me uh, from Suffolk. Um, I've also been the lead on the Suffolk County um, camps. So again, I can see a lot of, of names uh, from Suffolk on, on the call. So you may also recognise me from, from there. Um, so yeah, I'm the head coach, at, or not the head coach, the head age group coach at West Suffolk Swimming Club. Um, yeah, so that's me. Fantastic. Well, um, I'm sure we'll be bouncing lots of ideas around over the next hour or so. Um, I've already got questions coming in, which is fantastic. Uh, I've got a couple of polls that I've set up for you today, and I'll drop those in at the appropriate time. Um, but we're going to get straight into questions. So the first one that's coming is, how do you do a cool down? Well, quite simply, it depends on what type of session it is that you're cooling down from. So if you're in the swimming pool, your coach will probably set your cool down. So it will be part of the session planned out. Uh, if you're doing land work, it might be a little bit different. Uh, but something I try and get across to all athletes, whether you're in the pool, whether you're on land, whether you're doing a different sport, you want to try and avoid doing an immediate stop. So... Even if you finish running a marathon, which might take you five hours, you don't just cross the line and suddenly collapse in a ball on the floor. I might, but uh, as athletes, we try not to. And what I think is really important is that we understand we need to bring our body temperature 
uh, heart rate back down slowly. Uh, so I think from a general kind of view, so whether it's on land training uh, or other sports that you're doing, I'd say nice and slow and steady. So bring it down gradually. If that means going for a little bit of a walk, having a little bit of a stretch. Uh, if you're on a bike, it might be doing a little bit of slow cycling to finish off, but it's going to be different for everyone. For the pool specific cool down, we're going to hand over to Dave. Dave, what are your thoughts? Um all specific well obviously like you say the the cool down is effectively the opposite to the warm-up okay so we're we're trying to bring everything down um in terms of heart rate um and generally just bringing the muscles back to a, a state close to which they were um probably just after the warm-up um due to the high intensity of the session um in terms of actually the warm down we get to do in the pool for training sessions because our time is probably limited. I would say that we probably don't on the whole do enough. Um, you get to the, the higher level meets, things like nationals, where they actually have warm down pools, cool down pools, and, and you'll see people in there sort of upwards and above a thousand meters. Yeah, sort of warm down, cool down, um, just to give them time to bring bring everything back. So um, again, something we do uh, with regards to our warm downs is some very small kind of speed burst elements within it, um, just to get like a, a rush of blood almost pumping through the muscles. Um, obviously it doesn't need to be prolonged because we don't want the fatigue that goes with that, but we do want to kind of oxidize the muscles with sort of a short burst of, of blood pumping through them. Fantastic. Um, and talk to your coaches. Obviously, every coach is going to be different and all your sessions are going to be different. If you've got, for example, the ability to do a post pool stretching session on deck, um, then obviously that's going to be different. To somebody who's swimming pool currently says that as soon as the session finishes, you need to put a towel around you and go straight and get in the car. Uh, so it's going to be different for everybody. But there isn't a one size fits all. And also some competitions, you have got a pool, as Dave has said, but then in other pools, you might not have. So it's good to know the principles behind a cool down. And then you can adapt it depending on what your situation is. And um, OK, we've got a question about selection for regional talent programs. A great question. Now, this is going to be different. And I think it will probably be different for the next year or so, because usually we work off the previous six months, 12 months results, maybe it's rankings, maybe it's the regional championships. But we, by the time we get to Christmas, we're going to have had nearly a year where there's not been any major competitions other than the counties that took place right at the start of the year. So it's going to be different uh, perhaps at the start of next year because we're not going to have those competitions to go on. So hopefully, from what you've all noticed here, we are trying to do uh, support, if you like, for athletes and parents to be as digital and as open as possible so a lot of the resources we're putting out are on the podcast they're on youtube whatever it is now we obviously take guidance from the national team because the counties work with the regions work with the national team um kind of collaboratively uh, and we're still looking at next year and we can't really plan ahead but what i would say is that the resources that we offer are not closed so everything that you've seen the discussions we've had on these q a's it's all on youtube uh, it's on our podcast all the links are on there for anyone to access so actually there's a lot of information out there as swimmers that you can access but you do have to look for it okay so i, I think if there's anything specific 
in terms of development or supporting athletes or parents, please get in touch because we can always look to create more resources. But actually, in terms of the camp program, it's kind of changed so much in the last six months and will probably be the same for a little while. But actually, it's just a case of sharing information and how can you access that. So again, kind of what I said at the start there, making sure you signed up to all our social media platforms, make sure you're subscribed to our YouTube channel so that as soon as new content's put on there, you know about it. Because very often, sometimes we put stuff out and people go, well, I didn't know. And I said, well, are you subscribed to the channel? And they say, no, I'm not. And I said, well, that's what you need to do first. So big takeaway there for selection on events and accessing information is, is going for that. Anything to add to that, Dave? Um, <clears throat> just going back to the actual question was regarding um, how, it, how the selections are made. Is that correct? Yes. Do you want to touch upon how that would be in a normal situation and not the situation we're in now? Yeah, definitely. So if we look at last year's regional camp, so they would have been our 2007 born swimmers and um, they would have been selected by normally it's the highest ranked swimmers in each event. Now, if you take the highest ranked swimmer in each event, it usually is way less than 36 swimmers because often you have young athletes that do quite a lot of events and are quite good at them. So last year, we actually invited the top three ranked swimmers from regionals and the top three ranked swimmers on rankings in the region out of 2008 born swimmers onto the program. Now, that is not to say that because you're ranked fourth or 10th that you're going to miss out on all this information because hopefully when we get back to next year when we're hopefully running more development camps face to face actually the nutrition talks are still online they're going to be online forever that's why we put them on things like youtube and stuff so actually you can increase your chances of getting selected but because we don't know what the i guess selection criteria is going to look like because there might be restrictions on how many people we can have how far you can travel all those sorts of things it's uh, a huge question mark but what i would say is the benefit that these camps offer and you can look out there and see all these different things that we offer. And the national team have got a really good YouTube channel as well. So I hope that that kind of answers your question. But I say we're kind of in an unknown at the moment because we don't know how long we're going to be delivering like this for. But we are not stopping doing this, I can assure you. We're going to carry on putting stuff out there for athletes. So even if we can't run face-to-face -face camps and whenever it is next year, we will still put stuff out there to support parents and athletes. Um. I think it's worth mentioning also that in terms of the talent pathway, um, if you're not selected for this, for example, the regional camp, that doesn't mean that you're you're not um, considered later on. So you could be selected for like the national phase one camp, the NDP camp. Again, if you're not selected for that, doesn't mean you've missed out. You could then be selected the year after for the phase two. So you can join and um, join the pathway at any point. That's a fantastic point. I mean, if we take our best swimmer as an example, and I'm sure all of you know who he is, he did not swim on the county camps, the regional camps, or the national phase one camps. He wasn't picked up until he was in his late teens. So actually, just because you're not, I know you guys are on this program now, but just because you maybe missed it last year, or maybe you're not involved next year, that does not mean it's going to inhibit your swimming. Okay, there's so many opportunities out there, and I think that's a great point. Thank you, Dave. Okay. Uh, question coming in from Sonny Chelmsford. At what age should you consider concentrating on your favourite or best strokes? What do you think, coach? I don't think, honestly, you, you necessarily have a best stroke until much later on in your career. I've seen so many, so many swimmers that, you know, 
they might be swimming as an 11, 12 year old and their best stroke may be breaststroke. And by the time they get to 16, breaststroke's completely out of the window. Um, therefore, certainly within our club, we run um, an IM based program um, right the way up till probably 18. Yeah, and, and within our club, we don't have necessarily have um, a close um, sort of outstanding university. And therefore, the time the swimmers get to 18, they're moving on to university. And therefore, our programme pretty much remains IM based and there's not much specialisation at all. So, um, again, I don't think personally that's something you would probably do until you go to university. Okay. And for some of our swimmers, obviously, they might not necessarily follow that route. But actually, what we're talking about, I guess, as a wider thing is actually that our swimmers need to fully physically develop before they start making those sorts, sorts of decisions. Um, so that can be, you know, your body's going to grow, you're going to get stronger, you're going to get taller, your muscles are going to develop, your bones are going to develop, your nervous system is going to develop. And actually, it's really hard at the age of 12 to know what you're going to look like when you're 16, 17, 18. So mm -hmm. I guess just to kind of add on top of, of Dave's point there, actually, one of the best things you can do at a young age is make sure you're trying to work on all your different strokes. And you might not be amazing at all four. There's nothing wrong with that. But actually, not just saying, I'm a backstroker and I'm not going to do anything else. Because then if you grow a little bit and suddenly your backstroke doesn't quite work and you can't seem to find your rhythm, you've got nowhere else to go. So actually, we're trying to keep as many doors open as possible. Um, and then following on as part of that question, what can you do to stop feeling sick and dizzy on backstroke? Oh, um, I guess it's it's probably a a personal thing. I wouldn't say everyone that does backstroke feels feels sort of nauseous or dizzy. Um, it could be a technical thing. Okay, maybe something to do with, with keeping your head still or more still. Um, it's a it's a very tough question to ask without actually seeing the swimmer in action. Okay, so that might be something then for the swimmer to take away and maybe speak to their coach and say, when I do backstroke, I'm feeling sick and dizzy. Can you have a look at it and just see if there's something simple I'm doing that we can correct? Because very often it might be something tiny that actually a coach looks at and goes, wow, one little change there and that'll be that problem solved. So for that question, pick it up with your coach. And then if you've got any more questions, come back to us on it. Okay, uh, scrolling down, we've got plenty of questions coming in. Thank you for the ones so far. Um, have you got any tips for getting out of bad habits while swimming, like putting your head on your chest, and I assume we're moving our chin on our chest in backstroke, or entering with your hands too far apart on butterfly? What do we think? Well, they say is it something like it takes 30 days to make or break a, a habit. Um, okay. So I think in terms of getting rid of habits, it's, it's just a case of focus and concentration. Um, first of all, you need to know the correct form of technique that you should be using. And then it's just a case of being switched on, I think, in every session, at every point. If you lose focus um, and you're going to slip back into those bad habits, it's just, yeah, it's just a case of reinforcement, repetition, and obviously things like hydration, um, good nutrition are going to help for that concentration level, good sleep. Brilliant. Just, just being on it, I think. So we're looking at some of those wider things there. So actually it's the whole athlete that's impacting on it and not just 
not just our swimming specifically. So actually technical stuff can be impacted by things outside of the pool. So something to think about there. Okay, healthiest meats to eat. Uh, if you weren't on the nutrition call on third Friday, um, go back and have a listen to that because I think we talked about the different types of protein on there. But if it's not covered specifically, because obviously myself and Dave are not dietitians, uh, we've covered some linked resources in that video. So on the comments underneath the YouTube video, there's some brilliant books and resources to follow up on. And there's ones on there for, for protein stuff. There's things on there for vegetarian, the vegan athlete, the endurance athlete. There's loads of different ones. So I'd say if you've got any nutrition specific questions, I'd pick those up on that. And the contact information for Jasmine, our nutritionist, is also on that video as well. So you can also get in touch with her and just ask her that question. Uh, but we don't want to be giving out too much nutrition guidance. Okay, um, right. What I'm going to do whilst we've got 40 odd people on the call, this is fantastic. I'm going to start our first poll. So eyes on the screen, the poll will be launching now. So let's have a look. We're talking about the International Swimming League, which hopefully a few of you managed to watch this weekend. If any of you watched it, let us know. We've got a yes or no question. If you did and you were supporting a team, I want to know which team were you following? And then after that, we've got a question about who was your favourite athlete. So we've already got, oh, look at this. I can see London Raw surging into an early lead, which was pretty much what happened this weekend. So for anyone who's not watched it and just while you're casting your votes there, the International Swimming League is a global competition with teams from all over the world. Uh, just like our clubs are training in bubbles, they have brought about 200 swimmers from all over the world into Europe to a place called Budapest, and they've become one big bubble. And over the next five weeks, they're training together and they're racing together. And very kindly, because we've got a team from London there, and um, the BBC are covering that so you can get to watch some live swimming racing on TV. So it was on be on BBC iPlayer, which you can go back and watch some really cool racing with some top British swimmers there. And uh, again, over the coming weeks, there's going to be plenty more of that. So 71% of you have already voted and it looks like a reasonably even split. So for 16 swimmers, we've actually got an, an action to go away and get yourself set up for the next round of the ISL. 94% um, of people voting for the London Raw. That's fantastic. And then we've got a few others on there. PT, Caleb Dressel, Ali Atkinson and someone else. Fantastic. Okay, I, I'm just popping those things in. I'm going to leave that open for another minute or so for people to pop their questions or feedback on that. But we're going to go back into the questions. So we've got a question from Oscar about Level X. Now, will you be using the Level X results for any regional qualifications, even if it's virtual? This side of Christmas, Level X is just to get you guys racing. Now, whether it's Level X or whether it's uh, Level 4 or Level 3 or Level 2, we don't know at the moment, because we're only in October, what it's going to look like from January onwards. So the first stage of Level X, which is from now till Christmas, you just need to treat it as an opportunity to practice racing. Okay, now closer to Christmas, hopefully we'll have some more answers on that sort of thing. But what we will say is that whatever competitions run next year, the qualification for them is going to be even for everybody. So we will make sure that however we do it, it's fairly applied across all six counties and also that it goes back far enough. So if there aren't any competitions in January, for example, we go all the way back to January last year where there were some competitions. So again, it's just something to think about 
perhaps uh, over the coming weeks. Don't worry too much about what's going on next year. Just get up on the blocks or get in the pool if you're doing push starts. Race as fast as you can and enjoy doing that racing again. Yeah, just on that, Kev, um, just a, a question in the text box, just saying what is Level X? So there's obviously some people that haven't heard of it yet. Okay, so Level X is just a slightly different form of swimming license. So all competitions uh, are run on a license, uh, which is provided by the governing body. And Level X is an opportunity, uh, and we've all got these restrictions in place right now, and it's an opportunity to race within those restrictions. Okay, so what that could look like is if your club train uh, twice a week on a Tuesday and a Thursday night for an hour each time, next Tuesday, your coach might have arranged you to do a level X racing opportunity where there'll be a couple of judges on poolside and some timekeepers, but it will be within the rules that you're already operating within and you can do some racing. So again, it's, at the moment, it's still in its early stages, but something for everyone to inquire about, find out a little bit more about. Uh, I spoke to a big group of coaches at lunchtime today, which was really, really helpful. Um, and there are quite a few clubs doing it, but it doesn't go live in terms of real big racing until November. So something to go away and have a look at. But there's some great stuff out there on the, the Swim England Instagram and the, the YouTube channel and that sort of thing. So have a look at that. Um, okay. Uh, I'm going to close that first poll. Um, looks like London ran away for miles, but definitely a, a big split of people. I've got 18 people on there who have not watched the ISL. So head over to iPlayer when you're off the call tonight. If it's not past your bedtime, get on the ISL from this weekend and watch match two, which was London racing. Okay. Um, okay. We've got a lovely question that's come in here from Newmarket. Um, my goal is to one day swim at the Olympics. What can I do now to increase the chance of that? What do you think, coach? Um, obviously, that is a, a long time, long term goal. Okay, quite quite a very long term goal, which is great. So it's an excellent goal to have. Um, but again, now it's about what are the processes you've got to go through to to get to that goal. So first of all, I would suggest um setting some sort of more kind of in terms of a long-term goal maybe a goal for this time next year um i would set a goal for this time in or six months time and i would set three or four short-term goals okay you need to speak to your coach first of all um find out what are the things that you need to be working on day in day out Okay, these are what we call process goals in order to achieve your goal for six months time. Okay, so let's say in six months time, uh, your goal is to, uh, where are we gonna be in six months? Potentially, if, if things improve, potentially maybe like regionals. Okay, so let's say that your goal for six months time is to make a regional final. Okay, your coach should be able to talk through with you uh, what you need to do to get to that level whether it's you need to be hitting six kicks off every wall that's a process goal you need to be uh, not breathing out in and out of your turns that's a process goal okay and these are the things you need to be doing day in day out um like we spoke earlier about habits okay these are all good habits basically but um process goals which collectively um will amount to you getting closer to your midterm goal Awesome. And then it, it, just, it just spirals from there, basically. 
Yeah, and I think what's really good, and if we take West Suffolk as an example where they've coaches, they've produced international swimmers previously. And I think if you talk to any international level athlete, not just in swimming, but in many sports, you'll find that actually there was lots of little things they did when they were younger that kind of laid the foundation. So they thought about their nutrition. They were thinking about their stretching. They were thinking about their sleep. So it wasn't just a case of they just got faster in the pool and that was it. There were so many other things and also their attributes as a person. And what I mean by that, and I know Helen talks a little bit about that in the psychology talk, is actually how we approach things with our minds. So are we seeing the next six months as doom and gloom, disaster, and I can't race? Or are we seeing it as an amazing opportunity to eat? amazing opportunity to improve our nutrition, to improve our psychology, to improve our technical skills. Because in five years time or 10 years time, or whenever hopefully you achieve your goal, the things you do now have a ripple effect that will hopefully serve you in good stead further down the line. So a lot of things to think about now will help. Um, But it's not just, can I swim faster? There's so many different aspects to it. And also, given given this situation we're in, there's uh, there's not many opportunities in life and in sport itself to kind of hit that reset button. Okay, which is what you guys have had. Um, you've had you know three four months out of the pool. You're coming in fresh. Again, it's a chance to to hit that reset button and make sure that, as I said, you're you're doing your underwater kicks and you're creating these good habits um, to build upon. Fantastic. Um, one of the other things as well, and it's, it's changed generationally. And what I mean by that, when I was your age, which was about 120 years ago, there wasn't things like social media and the internet, which sounds like we're from another planet. But what I'd love to get across to all the young athletes out there is if you want to know what the best athletes in the world do, you can find it. You can go on YouTube, you can go on social medias and follow these athletes. And some of them are very active. If you think of someone like Cody Miller, who I know a lot of swimmers do follow, he posts up what he does in training, what he has for breakfast, what he has for lunch. And I'm not necessarily saying you need to be copying all these sorts of things, but the level of insight that you might be able to get into these athletes' life is much more than when we were younger. You know, when I was growing up at school, I went to a sports college where football was the main sport. Now, there was no way I could follow what David Beckham, who was the best footballer at that time, was doing in his day-to-day life and day-to-day training. Whereas in the modern day world, you guys can do that. So again, using all the different channels that are out there. Um, and I'd say for the parents out there that haven't listened to it yet, the um, talk we did with Adam PT's mum that was linked in the original letter. Again, if you've not listened to that, I'd highly recommend going back. It's about half an hour long. And she just tells you from an honest parent's point of view what it was like with Adam as a young athlete that helped him on his journey. So it's just something to think about. Um, right. Straight into the pool with a question here. How do you prevent cramps when swimming? What do we think? <clears throat> Um, there isn't a huge amount of scientific evidence to support why we get cramp. Okay. But I know one thing that kind of has been, uh, alluded to, or I don't know if it's been necessarily proven, but it's, it's, it's often due to, um, poor hydration and a lack of possibly sodium and potassium in the blood. Um, so one thing. I mean, I used to play football and I used to suffer from cramps quite a lot. Uh, so one thing I used to do was obviously um, eat a banana before a game and at halftime 
just to get potassium levels in um and just anything i could do really stay stay hydrated you know that's that's pretty much the key to it um it's it's just something that comes on as as a byproduct of your energy production um it's kind of the lactate accumulating in the muscles and it causes the contraction and not release basically so the, okay. the muscle contracts and doesn't release and it's very painful <laughs> one of the other things um and obviously or you may not know but dave's got a very very good background in strength and conditioning and we talked last week about the level of importance of doing a proper warm-up and whether that's in the pool whether that's at home whether that's just the clothes that you're wearing to training so for example it's starting to get quite cold now so turning up in shorts and t-shirt is probably not the best way to keep heat in your muscles whereas actually turning up in your track suits with a proper coat on and a woolly hat you're much more likely to maintain your muscle temperature which again can impact and again arguably whether there's a huge amount of science behind it but actually a combination of lack of hydration lack of salts in the in the bloodstream and then cold muscles combined often is what causes cramp which is why swimmers especially getting in a cold pool can can it can come on quite quickly so I hope that helps. Right. Let's have a look through. Uh, what is level X? We've covered that one. Goal about the Olympics. Fantastic. Right. Does our coach organise our results? Yes. Your coaches and your committees will be picking up level X. So if you've not heard anything about it, get in touch and see what's going on. Now, I think it's really important to say to everybody on the call here, all our clubs are in different places right now. Some are not even swimming. Some are doing a little bit of swimming, but it's getting spread around the whole club. Some are back in a little bit more. Um, there is a huge range of what swimming clubs are doing at the moment. So just be mindful of that, more so for parents when you're asking the coach. If you're only back in one hour a week, is it likely they're going to use that whole session to try and get in some time trial racing? Probably not right now. They're probably still trying to get more pool time for you. So just being mindful of those sorts of things because Level X obviously requires pool space to run. Uh, so just something for people to think about. Okay, scrolling down, plenty more questions coming in here. When swimming is not possible due to the pandemic, what other activities as a 12-year-old should you do to keep yourself fit? Is there an activity that is most akin to swimming, so to speak? Now, I'm going to defer to the S&C expert, but also because I know you guys did a lot for your club during lockdown. Um, by no means call myself an expert. <laughs> um, again, it's... Okay, I don't know what you do within your own clubs in terms of land work um, or or the poolside warm-ups. Um, but a lot of our stuff was is just based around that. It wasn't anything complicated. It was um, basically running through extended periods of of the land, the R map land worm work. So raising temperature, we would do you know things like running on the spot or star jumps or sprinting on the spot uh, might be mountain climbers um again if, if you're not familiar with these exercises they're all things you can you can probably um go online and and just research anything to raise your temperature um if you've got the space things like running uh, cycling all things you can do which are pretty good there's nothing actually like swimming Okay, even like cycling is is a uh, rotating your legs, you know. Is whereas swimming's more rotating arms, so there's, you can't actually do much, which is um, I like swimming. But there's plenty you can do. 
to maintain your fitness and your cardio levels. Um, a lot of the other things we did were kind of core exercises. Again, they might be very, very basic kind of press-ups. Again, and you can go online and see different uh, progressions of press-ups, make them easier, make them harder. Um, what else did we do? Things like sit-ups. I mean, I could name a lot of different exercises, but some of them you might not know what they are. Um, I mean, how would you elaborate on that, Kev? I think um, I think the the national YouTube channel, uh, which again we've included a link to in in some of our communications, was obviously set up during lockdown. So there's some fantastic videos on there of exercising when you can't access a pool. I, I think something that's key for everyone to understand, and even we don't want to get too sciencey on everybody, but ultimately when you swim you are taking in air into your lungs. It's going into your bloodstream, to your heart, and then getting pumped around to your muscles. Now, at an absolute basic level, when you go for a walk, that same thing is happening. You are breathing in air. It's going into your bloodstream. You're getting it pumped around your body. Now, we've got everything that you can do activity-wise from standing up and going for a walk, skipping on the spot, jogging, whatever it is, all the way through to sprinting up and down in a swimming pool. So actually there is benefit to everything but there's also got to be some level of being sensible okay i'm not going to say to you all all go and run up a mountain especially in the east region because it's quite flat so i think it's it's got to be usable uh, it's got to be realistic it's got to be weather appropriate because we're probably not all going to go out on our bikes today because it's not too much fun out there but actually something is better than nothing as long as it's safe Okay, and I think if we could kind of flesh everything back to the most basic thing, swimmers who sat down at the start of lockdown and did nothing but just play on their Xbox or whatever it was for three months whilst doing schoolwork um, are not going to be in as good a shape as a swimmer who went from doing seven sessions a week into lockdown. And then seven times a week, they took themselves off for a run. They did some core work. They did some stretching. They did some yoga. They did some Pilates, whatever it was. And then when they came out of it, their body was actually still used to doing some form of exercise five, six, seven times a week. So actually, if we take it all the way back to there, and obviously with the challenges that a lot of clubs have still got now in terms of getting pool access, there's still plenty of things you can do. But again, make sure it's safe. Make sure you're supervised whilst you're doing it and make sure you're competent in whatever it is you are trying to do. Okay. To add there, Kev, sorry. Um, one thing we kind of pointed our swimmers in the direction during lockdown was um, some swim specific yoga on YouTube. And I really speak highly for that. Um, awesome sort of mobility. There's, there's so many different yoga videos that they offer uh, targeting different areas of the body, whether it's, you know, shoulder stability or hip flexors and, and just everything, you know, swim specific. It's really good stuff. Okay, so if you if you want to get on their uh, YouTube channel, just just search for swim specific yoga. There's some good stuff on there. Fantastic. Okay, uh, question coming in from uh, one of your swimmers. At our age, how many races should we be doing at a gala? So let's push COVID aside and everything else that's been going on. And let's say I'm a 12 year old. I'm turning up to an open meet this weekend. It's four sessions long. So morning, afternoon, Saturday, morning, afternoon on Sunday. What should I be swimming? What do we think? Honestly, I would love it if if swimmers did every event <laughs> from a personal point of view. Um, at that age, it's just about swimming experience and race experience. 
I don't really care if they're not getting PBs, not getting, you know, best times and sometimes completely failing. It's just about getting as much race experience as you can. Okay. And something I often say to swimmers is because, you know, the 12-year-old kids, they want to come out of a race and the be-all and end-all for them is PBs. Did I get a PB? Did I get a PB? Whereas I'd like swimmers to come out of a race uh, and despite maybe not having a PB, have some sort of sense of achievement. So again, we could take it back to, I know I've alluded to this a few times, but yeah, I didn't get a PB, but I hit six kicks off every wall and I didn't breathe out of any of my turns. That's fantastic. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'm looking for personally. But the more races, the better for me. Okay. Uh, I'll take that on a little step further. Um, um, you mentioned the word failure there, and I think we shy away from that. But the best athletes, somebody asked earlier, how do I make it to an Olympics? The best athletes put themselves in situations where they will probably fail and they learn from that, and that is how they develop. So if let's take the best in this country, Adam Peaty, in 2018, he got beaten on 50 breaststroke. And if you watch, it's on YouTube, there's a video immediately after that race, and he says, I've learned so much about myself. I'm going to go back. I'm going to work harder. I'm going to focus on this. I'm going to focus on that. And the next time he raced his best event, he broke the world record. So I think it's really important for people to understand that you will not, in swimming, start at eight and every year PB indefinitely. Because if you keep getting quicker and quicker, eventually your time will be zero. Okay. And that's not possible. Okay. So we need to understand that it will not be a straight line from starting the swimming journey to finishing the swimming journey. Okay. Even at my age of like 95 years old, I haven't PB'd for quite a while, but I enjoy going along and racing with my friends and the experience of it and learning about technical improvements that I can make. So if you are truly looking to improve as a long-term swimmer, you have to get out of your mind. It's about improving times all the time because times don't get faster because you want them to. Times get faster because you make technical, tactical, and physiological improvements. Okay. And that is what the, hopefully the talks that we've delivered have given you some insight into how do I eat better? How do I get my body into a better position on land? How do I think better? Cause that's what makes your times get faster not just wanting it. Okay. So something for everyone to think about there in terms of races per session, little example, go back to our Olympic example. If you get to the most important meet of your life, the Olympic games, and it just so happens you're a really good swimmer, and you've got an individual final where you're ranked in the top three and you've got a relay final in the same session and you're also ranked in the top three, you're going to have to swim two of the most important races in your life, anything up to about 20 minutes, half an hour apart. Happened in the Rio Olympics to a couple of the GB athletes and they absolutely smashed it out of the park. And when I spoke to Duncan's coach, who's one of the, the guys that had to do that, I think it was 25 minute gap between the 100 freestyle final and the 4 by 200 relay. And he said, when Duncan was young, we did what we call dirty doubles, which sounds ridiculous. But what it actually was, was every session he went to for a competition, he would do a guaranteed two races in every session. So that even if the first race went really well or really badly, he had to pick himself back up for the next race. And it was preparing him for that moment. They didn't know whether he was going to get to the Olympics, but they knew he had aspirations to do that. And I promise you, if you want to get to the top in any level, sport or in life, you have to become comfortable with not achieving perfect results every single time because that's sadly not how sport works okay that was a long answer that time sorry guys for waffling on there and um, 
Right. We've got some swimming technical questions coming in. We've got four of them back to back. So we're going straight to the coach on this one. I've got very poor, poor kick and I've tried everything I can. And over lockdown, I started running, but it hasn't helped my kick. Any suggestions? Um, I think you'd, you'd probably have to go into the technique of the kick, possibly. Uh, look at sort of ankle flexibility. Uh, running doesn't always go hand in hand with with great ankle flexibility. Um, so maybe look at things you can do at home to improve that. Um, again, it might be, you know, things such as yoga. I'm, I'm sure there'd be yoga videos which which can improve that ankle flexibility. Uh, it might be that you need to improve your your hip mobility, okay, your ability to uh, move your hips more freely in the water, more relaxed, because essentially that's where the speed comes from. It's, it's applying strength but being relaxed at the same time. Okay, so we've uh, we definitely covered some mobility stuff within the presentations for SNC, uh, and I've sent all those slides out now, so hopefully everyone's got them. Uh, so thinking about ankle flexibility when we're talking about kick, but we're also talking about your hip flexibility. So we're looking at what your glutes are doing, what your hip flexors are doing, those sorts of things. And again, those things are included in the land work. So try that. And again, you're only 12 or maybe even 11. So actually, you're going to get stronger. You're going to grow and develop. So if your kick's not great at 12, that's OK. That's something to work on. No one is the complete article at 12 years old. So actually, again, it's something to focus on. If you're doing three sessions a week, for those three sessions, I'm really going to focus on my kick. Okay, you've got a process goal to focus on in training, but hopefully longer term will improve. Okay, uh, next question. I have a bad habit where I don't get my chin down on my dive. I just zone out when I go. I just zone out when I hear go and I let go and I don't think. It really annoys me. How can I get out of this habit? So I think we're talking about a, a raised head on a dive. Yeah. <clears throat> Good question. Um, again, very, very hard to give you an answer without being able to see that dive uh, from a personal point of view. Um, maybe, maybe question why you're zoning out on the on the signal to go. Um, it's obviously a very important element of the race, you know, and, and you need to be fully switched on as, as you hear that starting signal. And it's probably, you know, the point of the race where you need to be most on it for that reaction. Um, techniques to improve it. Uh... Should we think, I guess, again, if we let's go back to the ISL guys, because we know you guys all watch YouTube. You can go on there and watch a professional swimmer, one of the best in the world, do a dive and you can pause it. You can see exactly what they do. Now, the actual movement of a dive is a jump. You do it horizontally and you go head first, but it's a jump. You bend your legs and you push. So actually, you can do that at home. You can do it in slow motion and stand up over and over again until your head is perfectly between your arms. And you can have your mum, your dad, or one of your siblings standing there going, you're still putting your head up or you're still putting your head forwards, whatever it is. And you can keep practicing and practicing and practicing on land. And I know for a fact that one of the best starters in the world, a guy called Ben Proud, who's the British record holder for 50 freestyle in this country, goes short course, I think 20.9 for 50 freestyle, which is crazy fast to think about. And he does a lot of work on land to get make sure his shoulders are nice and flexible, make sure his positioning of his arms is right on his head and that his streamlining is really, really tight. So though you can actually practice some of this stuff on land. And again, if we can't dive on blocks at the moment, that's fine. We can practice at home. 
without bumping into the ceiling? Because I know some of you guys are really tall for your age. How okay. does that sound, coach? Yeah, good. Um, again, just just bringing it back, just sometimes don't be afraid to take it back a few stages. Maybe in, instead of doing an actual proper racing start off the side or off the block, maybe do a standing start whilst you're already in your streamlined position and just work on on not you know pulling out of that or not pulling your head through the arms. Just keep that head tucked down. Um, do a few of those. You could progress that from the side onto the block. Okay, and then like I said, like I said, just take it back a few stages before you then take it forwards. Okay, awesome tip. Um, so we covered that one. Uh, how can I stop my legs crossing during freestyle kick? Kick them more. <laughs> it's, it's pretty simple. Um, I think the legs crossing is is a case of it's a balancing process because you're not kicking enough. So you need to be working on that six beat leg kick. Okay, so every for every stroke cycle uh, on freestyle, so that's a, a left arm followed by a right arm. There should be six kicks, uh, ideally. I mean, not not everybody has them, but um, this is something I used to do myself, as uh, probably from the age of eleven to when I eventually realised I needed to kick when I was about sixteen. I'd say um, it feels weird to start with. Uh, it feels completely obscure and unbalanced putting that many kicks in and some it's, it might be a case of take again taking two steps back before you take three steps forwards but um essentially it's got to be it's got to be there you've got to kick yeah you, know, you don't you don't watch the olympics and see anyone bombing down the pool without a leg kick okay, in fact it's, it's the opposite it's the ones that kick the hardest for the longest that that win the races okay um, next question coming in, what is the best way to stop looking around whilst you swim? <clears throat> I mean, I'm guessing with, depending on the stroke, it's going to be different because on front crawl, you are obviously looking to the side when you breathe, but there's a big difference between doing that and swimming breaststroke and doing this or being a Chad Leclo for any of you who follow Chad, the international butterfly swimmer who has a look around whilst he swims and that's cost him races sometimes. So I think, I mean, one of my tips that I say to people at the end of every pool, generally there's a line coming up the wall and there's a block or there's a pile of drinks bottles. So figure something in front of you if you're doing breaststroke or butterfly to look at. And if you're looking to the side, let's go back to our technical question. What's the most efficient way of doing it? So actually, am I looking around because I want to see what's going on over here? Or is my head just going all over the place because I'm not really focused? Dave's already talked about how important focus is. And if you're really focused on your breath and you know you only need to get to there to get a breath so your mouth's just out of the water, then every time you take a breath, that's your focus point, nothing else. Okay, and they're the sorts of things that can help you stop looking around. I don't know if you've got any other thoughts on that, coach. Now, again, I'll just take it back to the why. Like, what is there anything that's making you look? Are you concerned about um, keeping up with the person next to you or who's catching you up from behind? Or is there anything that's distracting you on the side? Again, if we've got that focus, uh, it shouldn't, shouldn't really be an issue. And if you know you've obviously um, been told or self-diagnosed this, this issue um, and you want to correct it because you've asked the question, so... You know, it's, it's down to you just to keep that focus. Um, one thing I often say, if it's front crawl, there's very, very thin concrete lines on the floor, most pools. 
Okay, and something I'll just say is just, just focus on one of those lines as you swim. Okay. Um, right, got a question on oh, no, that's a point about tight ankles. Thank you for sharing that. Uh, what's the best food to eat before a sprint race? Okay, um, again, I said we we're not going to do nutrition advice, but I know we got asked exactly that question on Friday. So I'm going to feed back what Jazz said. Okay, your body for the majority of the swimming races you're going to do, so probably 400 downwards, is going to have all the fuel that it needs before a race. So you don't need to give yourself a big spike, whether it's LucasAid Sport. And again, this is as long as you've got no dietary requirements, perhaps if you're diabetic or you, you've got something else that means you need to, to refuel. But actually, for most young athletes, their diet is sufficient in fueling them up for a specific race. Now, in between races, that's a different thing. And if you go back and listen to the Q&A, we talked about snacking between races. But all I'd say is, and I'm a sprinter, so I'm reasonably well informed in this area from my own swimming years, nothing you take in the last 15 minutes to half an hour that's legal is going to make a difference to your swimming, but it will slow you down if you eat a three-course meal 30 minutes before you dive in the pool. Okay, so ask yourself, what do I want to do? And, and Dave's already talked about at the start of a race, you need to be focused. And a lot of that comes down to hydration. So actually, half an hour before you race, something really useful to do is make sure you've had enough to drink. Okay, because there's nothing worse than standing behind the block, a little bit kind of dozy, feeling a little bit dry in your mouth and you feel like you need a drink, but actually you've got to get up on the block and race. Okay, so something for everyone to think about there on the hydration front, but for specific snacks, listen back to the Q&A from Friday night, which, as I say, is out on YouTube and the podcast. Okay, how can you stop water going up your nose on a backstroke start and turn? Well, um, not something that I would probably recommend at, at this age, but a lot of people do use nose plugs um those clips because yeah, i can i can hear all these kids starting to shove things up their nose <laughs> thinking we're going to plug their noses nose clips ladies and gentlemen <laughs> so if, if it's something you really struggle with then you know you, you could go down that direction and and have a play around with those see if they help um generally again it comes down to the person some people can uh literally raise their top lip and cover their nostrils yep. Do, but um, I've seen people do that. Um, way I used to do it was just just make sure I had plenty of air in my lungs and slowly trickle air out of my nose as I was kicking. Well, you've yeah. answered two questions in one then, because the next question is: when you blow out through your nose on a turn, how do you stop yourself running out of breath before the breakout? So there we go. Make sure you take a decent breath before the turn. Okay, and a lot of people, especially on backstroke, and I found this, don't think about breathing. Okay, they think, well, look, my mouth's out the water, therefore I'm, I can just breathe. Well, actually, if you're not thinking about breathing, when you suddenly turn over onto your front for a backstroke turn and your body's like, oh, I needed a breath, well, you've missed your chance. So actually, something to think about when you're approaching the flags is what is my breathing pattern? Have I got a full breath before I take the turn? And then just as Dave said there, a slow trickle out to make sure you don't run out. So hopefully we've actually answered two questions there in one. And one more thing, like something I tend to do, some people struggle to do the slow trickle. So um, something I often coach, especially to the younger kids, is if you kind of screw your face up and make a kind of almost try... Can you come a bit closer to the camera and show that to everybody? <laughs> so if you kind of screw your face up, 
and try and put that top lip on on to your nose you kind of close that sort of nasal cavity so the air will naturally come out slower okay <clears throat> awesome and then we've got a couple of questions here about drag shorts now i think at a young age it's going to be different every coach has probably got their own opinion on it um i think standard swimsuits do the job I don't think you need to be adding additional challenge. Now, I don't know what your thoughts are on this, coach. Yeah, I completely agree. Um, there is a, a time and a place that they can be used, I think. Um, but for most sessions, certainly at this age, we're, we're looking at skills. And for my opinion, that's just going to... Um, it's not going to do anything to improve things like body position um, and their feel for the water, really. Someone's actually asked what are drag shorts. So what we're talking about is potentially like these kind of half length shorts. So they don't come to your knees. They're kind of like halfway down. They're a little bit looser and they're designed really to create drag and slow you down, which should make you work harder. But if we, again, well, let's go back to our world-class athletes because that's what some of us are aspiring to. Even those guys don't see a huge amount of them wearing drag shorts. They might be doing a resistance set where they get parachutes out or they get sponges out or they get some cables out and do some bungee work. But again, that's something you add further down the line. At a young age, it's all about great technique, great body position, and making sure you're not doing things that are going to ruin that. So something to think for people. Again, every coach is going to be different on it, but recommendation from us too is that you don't need them, certainly at your age. Okay, what I'm going to do, because we've got five minutes left, have a little think if you've got any more questions. I'm just going to launch the final poll for everybody. And there's three questions on it. Firstly, what did you enjoy the most out of the program this year? Now, this is for the swimmers, because I'm going to send a survey out to the parents next week. Um, the second thing is, would you like to see more opportunities like this in the future? And then the final part, have these Q&A sessions been useful? Because we're thinking we might do some more of them after Christmas. So it's a chance for the swimmers to feed in here. Already half of you have fed in. This is brilliant. Keep them coming in. I'm going to give you 30 seconds because there's not too many questions on there for to, go, to go through. So the first one, which of the sessions did you find useful or did you find all of them useful? The second one, would you like to see more of these in the future? And then the final part, were the Q&A sessions useful? Q&A is question and answer. Okay, eight people left to vote. The time is ticking. Come on, people, get those last few votes in. six more to go hopefully i know some people are probably dialing in on their phone so may not actually be able to vote but that's fantastic so we've got 100 percent yes so we will carry on running these which is good uh nice to see that uh, people are coming in with a range of different answers on that and then the bottom one about the q a sessions only one person didn't think they'd be useful hopefully we'll get the feedback out of them next week as to why um right you guys have four more minutes so any questions at all you've got swimming related now is the chance to put them in the chat box okay anything at all now is your chance and while we've got a few minutes left if any of the parents want to add a question on there for us to answer we will do our best but we've only got a few minutes left, so please make the most of this opportunity. We probably won't be doing any more of these this side of Christmas, but we are looking at doing some more next year, which based on the feedback, I think we're going to um, definitely be doing. Okay, we still have no questions come. Oh, no. Oh, is there an easy way to modify training for injuries? My thoughts initially from a swimming point of view, 100% 
but it needs to be in line with what the person who's treating you, whether that's your doctor or your physio, and then your coach says is appropriate. What would you add to that, Dave? Again, it depends on the injury completely. Um, but, you know, one thing we all say is as long as there's uh, space for you to attend uh, without causing too much disruption, if you've got a, a shoulder injury, you can come and do a kick. You know, if you've got a, a leg injury, you can come and do a pull um, rather than missing sessions. Um, and sometimes that can be a really beneficial thing for you as a swimmer to spend a, a big period of time doing kick um, if you're particularly weak at kick, it sometimes really turns people's seasons around. Okay, awesome. And then we've got two questions coming in that are age group specific. First one, how many early morning sessions should a 12-year-old be doing? And then how many sessions per week should a 12-year-old be doing full stop? Now, pandemic aside, I think I have not seen a single recipe, if you like. <clears throat> Actually, that is the perfect answer. So I'll give you an example. Rebecca Adlington, the last female Olympic champion we had in this country, okay, she swam, I think, six sessions a week when she was 10, and then it went up by a session a week at 12, then it went up by a session a week at 14, and it gradually progressed all the way up. Adam Peaty, when he was 14, was swimming two one-hour sessions a week, and the rest of the time he was on his BMX, Okay, so there is no fixed recipe, even if you aspire to get to the top in the world that says you're guaranteed this is what you have to do. Okay, it's different in every area. So if I went to Ipswich and then Basildon and then Peterborough and then Hatfield and then West Suffolk, it's all going to be different what you're doing. So actually, it's not so much what you're doing, it's how you are doing it. And we've talked so much. Dave's talked about process and focus. Okay. Um, Jasmine talked about the details of nutrition. On the S&C stuff, if you watch the videos, we talk about the quality of what you're doing. So actually, there isn't a fixed number. What you've got is what you've got. If your club does six sessions a week, they do six sessions a week. If your club does two sessions a week, you're doing two sessions a week. But what you can do is all this other stuff around it that's going to benefit you and do it really, really well. Because two hours of world-class focused swimming on skills is going to be much more beneficial than doing 10 sessions a week of just rubbish where you're not focused at all. So making the absolute best of whatever you've got, I promise you, is going to make the biggest difference. Coach, would you add anything to that? Not at all. I couldn't have said that better myself. Um, you know, I, was, I was literally going to say that quality over quantity every day so as myself as a swimmer I, I didn't have a huge amount of pool time available but I just had to make sure that every session that I did do was a really high quality session with a bang on it you know Fantastic. The, some of my competitors um across the pond or whatever doing you know three four times more sessions than I was but um, oh. I still managed to compete yeah. And that's the thing. We make the best of what we've got. And ultimately, it isn't 10 sessions a week that guarantees success. It's your attitude and what you do in those sessions that's going to make the difference. Final question that's coming there. Are these Zoom meetings we've been doing on YouTube? The ones from last week are. Tonight's one I'm going to have to edit. And then I will hopefully get that up on YouTube by the end of the week. And I will send out a final summary email to everyone who's attended these calls, who's voted, who's wrote in questions, who's commented. And this is a real shout out for everyone. Please make sure if you're on social media, share the talks on your platforms. 
comment when we post them up on what you thought was useful. And please, when we send out the survey next week, send in some responses, because as you've seen, this is the first year we've done anything like this, but we are more than happy to do different things like this again. But we need your feedback to make sure that it's fit for purpose. It's helping you guys and it's really, really useful. But the last thing I would say to everyone out there is I have never seen this level of engagement from a group of 12 year old swimmers. So I can say it on Dave's behalf, but he's going to say it as well. We are so impressed with the range of questions, your engagement in what we're doing and the amount of people that have taken this up. It's absolutely brilliant. So we cannot say well done enough. Uh, I don't know if you want to add anything to that, coach. To be honest, based on the polls, um, I would just go one step further and say thanks to you, Kev. Um, you put in a lot of work into organising these uh, these talks and these practitioners and, and to put out this information. So uh, on behalf of myself and I think all the swimmers and parents, thank you. Oh, thank you very much because it's a, it is a team effort and all those practitioners and you and me started talking about this quite a few months ago. So it's lovely to see it all coming together. Um, I've got one technical question that's come in that I have to reply to because I'm a dweeb when it comes to this sort of thing. Somebody asked, what do I do when I edit the podcast? Well, I've got a very fancy platform on my computer. I pull the audio into it. I add an introduction. I add a little outro, which if you listen to our podcast, you'll hear. I put it all together. I add some pictures to it and then I stick it up on YouTube. So there you go. You've had a, a quick, insightful lesson in how to produce YouTube videos and podcasts. It's a little bit more technical than that, but that's basically what I do. But lots of wonderful messages coming in there. Thank you so much, everyone. I will let you get on with your Wednesday evenings. As soon as this is all done and our surveys together, I will get that out to everyone. But please make sure you're engaged going forwards. Like everything, follow everything, and stay up to date. And hopefully we will see you all soon. Thank you so much for your time. Thanks again to David there for some great insights and to our awesome swimmers for some great questions and also some really interesting poll results. It's really cool to see so many of our swimmers engaged and following what's going on in the International Swimming League, especially as it's only in its second season. This podcast episode concludes our 2020 development programme and what a programme it's been. A completely new format, many more athletes than usual, and some incredible engagement. We've had some great guests sharing their insights with nutritionists, psychologists, S&C coaches, swimming coaches, and even swimming parents. Please make sure you're subscribed to our various channels and social media feeds to stay up to date as more resources go live. Hopefully you enjoyed today's discussion and will join us again soon for the Swim England East Region podcast. <laughs>